0: Police violence, and as I was going through the book, I counted ten spokes in the break the wheels uh, in the wheel. Are are there many more in that uh, that wheel? How many spokes are there actually in the wheel that you're describing,
1: Uh, Freddie? How you doing this morning? Um, You know, I, I think the real point is that the when we talk about why we can't break the cycle of police violence, there are multiple parts that contribute to. The cycle just continuing. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that the issue is how many spokes. The issue is there's a number of them, uh, policing, uh, prosecution, judges, the media, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: uh, and perhaps more. There's certainly medical examiners. There's all these things that sort of have us in this cycle where it seems like every other day there's some tragic incident involving some person, usually black, uh, and the police. And we have to to try to think about all of them. In order to solve the problem, which we can solve if we uh, have, if we can muster and maintain the national will.
0: Do you see "Break the Wheel" as a primer for Minneapolis Police in changing the culture of the police department itself? I think so.
1: Uh, th- that's kind of the point. I mean, you may ask why did I write the book? Well, it's because I think it's an important. Do- it was important to document what brought us you know what what the what happened in the trial so because when things these things happen again it is important to look at different experiences and say how do we solve it for example when i read when i was started to uh, lead the prosecution in the floyd matter uh i uh, i read a book called freddie's last ride which is about the death of freddie gray and just reading about it the importance of really thinking about the medical causation uh, really kind of helped me uh, approach the case. There really wasn't that much written about um, uh, in, in one place regarding Rodney King. There wasn't that much about a lot of things. But I, So I thought, you know what, I've been keeping track of uh, what's going on in this, book, in this case uh, through my own notes and, and everything. I mean, this might be something that could benefit people who have to deal with this problem in the future.
0: If you could put your finger on one thing that Minneapolis police could do based on your research that you just outlined, what has to change in order to stem the violence coming from Minneapolis police?
1: I'd say there's two things. I can't narrow it to one. Okay. Two things. And the one thing is we've got to prosecute crime whether the perpetrator has a badge or not. Oh, I think some folks want you to say that again. We've gotta prosecute crime regardless as to whether the perpetrator has a badge or not. Mm. We gotta have equal justice under the law. We can't have a situation where some people are above the law. They literally can do anything to whoever they want and nothing happens. And others are beneath the law, I meaning you can do anything to them you wanna do and there's never gonna be any accountability. We gotta have we gotta get rid of what I call impunity, meaning no punishment if you hurt these people. Then the other thing is We've got to have administrative remedies. It was very important that Chief Arredondo fired these officers because in doing so, he was saying, look, you know, you've got to do something. You can't just say, you know, the more senior guy was doing it, so I was doing it. No, nope. you have a duty to intervene. You have a duty to, uh, to, to give a, medical assistance. All of them were trained in CPR. None of them lended it, uh, even though it was clear that George Floyd needed it. In fact, there were people at the scene screaming, "Check his pulse!" And yet, n- none of the officers trained in CPR intervened to provide it.
0: As an aside, I read in the New York New York Times you mentioned uh, Chief Arredondo, former Chief Arredondo, that uh, that act of firing those officers, uh, according to the Times, was the biggest act of bravery in the last 10 years in police enforcement.
1: Well, it was important, and you notice that the chief in Memphis let go of those officers right away when it was found that they violated violated departmental pro- policy. But let me just say one thing. There's a lot of police officers who support the effort to make sure that everyone is upholding the rule of law. There were 14 officers who wrote an open letter denouncing what, what, what uh, Derek Chauvin and crew did, And uh, since I've uh, been involved in this case, I've talked to numerous chiefs, talked to numerous police leaders who said, look, you know, if you don't fire bad conduct, then doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing pretty much gets you the same outcome. Um, And doing the wrong thing, uh, if you have the wrong culture, uh, is rewarded. And doing the right thing is not. Uh, There was this case involving this police officer uh, in Buffalo who saw her partner beating up a, a, a suspect who was handcuffed and, and not resisting, she intervenes to stop it. he punches her. And then she's the one who gets brought up on departmental charges and actually has to fight for over 10 years to get her pension back. Oh. She does get it back. but And in, in, in the officer who did be uh, assaulting, he ends up getting federal uh, criminal charges for violating a whole another group of people's civil rights. So my point is, it doesn't hurt good officers to maintain high standards for all officers.
0: Interesting. Throughout this trial, were you ever in doubt when you're by yourself, you're sitting in your office, either at your home office or at the, at the Capitol building, were you ever in doubt about the trial's outcome, given all the facts, given everything that you've brought together, you and your team, were you concerned ever about how it would ultimately wind up?
1: I was constantly concerned. I was never sure what was going to happen. The only... I knew what was going to happen when the judge announced it. I was not... In fact, you know, if you look at history, history was on the side of Derek Chauvin. Mm-hmm. I mean, look what happened to Rodney King. Look at what happened to Philando Castile. Look at what happened to uh, Walter Scott. Uh, and, and in Laquan McDonald's case in um, in, in uh, Chicago, he was ultimately the cop who did... The, uh, Jason Van Dyke, the officer... Who killed him was off ultimately held accountable but it took four years and change 19 shots video uh, look you know you there have been a number of cases where there was video and no accountability Walter Scott is running away back turned the officer assumes a marksman stance shoots him down and the jury still hung and did not come to a conclusion it was only the federal jury that held that officer accountable in the, in, you know, Tamir Rice case, never sees the light of day. In the Eric Garner case, that case uh, was no billed by, well, the, I mean, there was no bill of indictment uh, against officer uh, the officer who choked him to death. The, you know, which was sort of the first case where we heard a, a person screaming, I can't breathe. So history was on the side of Derek Chauvin. Mm-hmm. But I was never, I never thought this was in the bag. I, kn- I knew we put on a good case, Freddie. I knew we did a good job,
0: mm-hmm. but I did not know what the outcome was until it was announced. Keith Ellison with us this morning.
1: For sure. Break the Will, Ending the Cycle of Police Violence. The title is really obviously, uh, you know, it's direct. But when you were writing the book, did you have a target audience in mind? And, and what did you expect? What do you expect from people to actually take away from the book? Well, if you are a average citizen and you're trying to understand why does that this book can help you understand that. Mm -hmm. If you're a policy person and you're making policy, this book can help you figure out what to do. If you're a prosecutor, it certainly is almost, you could even use it as a guidebook. Mm -hmm. And so it really is something for for everyone. This problem happens all the time, sadly. We need a a better outcome. We need to get to the point where this is not, you know, a weekly occurrence across our country. Uh, And this book helps... Bring us one step closer to figure out what to do about it. And so, uh, you know, as as you all may recall, four months before George Floyd was killed, myself and John Harrington, we issued a report along with the whole committee that was working with us to reduce deadly force encounters with police. Mm -hmm. And we, we convened civil rights people, police officers, and even the police union to talk about how we do this. Came up with 28 recommendations. That report's released in February. A few months later, the Floyd matter occurs. And so it's been kind of part of my life's work to try to bring about a better relationship between police and community. And this book is my effort to
0: help help push that forward. Two other questions before we have to step away. We're running short of time, but I'm just curious. Can you talk about the importance of having Jerry Blackwell on your team?
1: well Judge Jerry Blackwell now a federal district court judge mm-hmm was brilliant he was not a criminal prosecutor he was a civil defense attorney and was very successful very successful and having shown up on the opposite side of the table from him I thought we could <laughs> use somebody who understands how to build narrative how to build theme how to be an effective advocate so I asked him to consult with us ultimately It was clear that he was a brilliant presenter as well. Did our opening statement, closing argument, handled several witnesses, did a wonderful job. Big thanks to him. He's an example of somebody who's done really well economically in the legal business, who said, you know what, I'm going to take no pay to help justice move forward. So hats off to him.
0: Last question for you. You're the first African-American and the first Muslim-American to be elected to statewide office in Minnesota. You've served in Congress. So uh, question, is governor in your future?
1: Well, let me tell you, Brady, I don't worry about stuff like that, man. I mean, well, don't worry, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't really think about it. I mean, I'm not I'm not a particularly ambitious man. There's no political office that I've ever held, including this one, Mm -hmm. that my heart was set on doing it years before. I usually I usually just do what I can to serve. I'm into service. My mother was a social worker. You know, uh, my grandfather was a teacher. My family's into the service business, and so that's what we do.
0: All right. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison here on the heels of a brand-new book entitled Break the Wheel, Ending the Cycle of Police Violence. A lot of spokes in this book, and I can't thank you enough, Chantel and I, for being with us this morning on KMOJ. Thank you all. Have a great day now. You 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 too.
1: Thank you. I like, uh, I, I, I like what Van Jones had to say about the book. He said, Keith Ellison has written a complete and courageous account of the trial of Derek Chauvin. Without Ellison's diligence, Chauvin might have walked free. Break the Will engages all stakeholders in a bold and honest conversation. Van Jones of CNN had that to say about the book.
0: All those stakeholders, those were the spokes that I was talking about in the first question to... The Attorney General mm-hmm. it's really interesting uh, and I it's really it, he laid bare for us this morning about his uncertainty yeah about the outcome of this trial mm-hmm. uh, just uh, really delineating all the different trials that have preceded the one with Derek chauvin mm-hmm. it was never in the bag the Attorney General said absolutely it makes sense.